0: Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. This last week, former President Donald Trump responded to the accusation that he illegally took classified documents home with him when he left the White House. He's been presented with a 37 count federal indictment. And in a lengthy interview with Fox News here in the USA, Mr. Trump said that he took the documents because he'd been too busy to sort through his personal things. Busyness, apparently, has got him into some hot water. And that got me thinking, which can be dangerous. Over the last few days, I've been taking some time to think about the way I spend my time. I live a busy life. Most work days stretch to 11 or 12 hours, and they begin early in the morning. I live life at high speed. But I've been reflecting on an invitation that all of us Christians have received. It comes from Jesus himself. The message version of Matthew 11, 28-30 frames it like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Hmm, sounds wonderful. But the fact is that many of us struggle to find rest and rhythm in our lives, as I discovered through a recent encounter with a bottle of tomato ketchup. Yes, you heard that correctly. The Heinz Company, ever eager to improve its classic product, has produced what looks like an upside-down ketchup bottle with the cap on the bottom. This simple revolution means that the red stuff is always pulled down by gravity and so no shaking is needed and there's no delay when we want to garnish our eggs. The the quick-on-the-draw idea was born when the company asked customers how their iconic product could be improved. They told us the ketchup is perfect the way it is, said a spokesman. Their concerns were more about access. And so the boffins at Ketchup Central went back to the drawing board, and the new packaging means that we now live in the age of spring-loaded sauce. Ketchup ready when you are, chortles the label. Hallelujah, it's celebration time. As a quickaholic, I've always found the two-second shaken weight with the sauce so very frustrating. I eat at high speed, as if I feared that someone's about to pilfer my chicken, and I prefer the shampoo with the conditioner combined because it saves me the time that it takes to rinse. And speaking of showers, I begin most days slightly damp, because I don't like to hang around to fully dry off. Seconds matter. When my laptop takes longer than usual to download my emails, I twitch and fear that it's turning into Stevenson's rocket. I know that life is a marathon and it's designed to be a comfortable jog, even a walk, but I tend to tackle it at a sprint. Ironically, by going fast, I end up being late. Trying to squeeze too much in before I drive to an appointment, I calculate precisely how much time is needed for the journey. I fret all the way, pray for red lights to turn green, and arrive white-knuckled, agitated, and delayed. And I create complicated and yet more time-consuming problems by reacting rather than responding, rushing with mad haste to press send in response to that irritating email. Perhaps, worst of all, life in the fast lane becomes a blur. Laugh-out-loud moments that should be savoured are left behind in the dust as I move on to the next thing. My fear is that I'm going to continue to hurtle through the whole of my life at a rate of knots, which will lead to my premature death. When they throw me in the grave, my body will thrash around for three days just because of the momentum. My challenge isn't jet lag, I think it's life lag. As Lily Tomlinson famously said, in the rat race, even if you win, you're still a rat. And so I'm asking Jesus, who was not only the Prince of Peace, but the Prince of Poise with it when he lived on this earth, to help me put my foot on the brake before I break. I can't go on sabbatical, rent a monk's habit, and go all contemplative, or abandon my responsibilities, but I can stop to breathe allow laughter to linger, refuse to allow the schedule to become a god, and leave on a journey an hour early so that it becomes a trip and not a race. I can spend more time doing frivolous and useless things just for the sake of doing them. I can raise a glass to a sunset, lest creation struts her stuff, and there be no applause from me in response. Of course, all this slowing down is easier said than done. Ronald Rollheiser said, It is no easy task to walk this earth and find peace. Inside of us it would seem that something is at odds with the very rhythm of things, and we are forever restless, dissatisfied, frustrated and aching. We are so overcharged with desire that it's hard to come to simple rest. Stephen Covey said, People expect us to be busy, overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society. If we're busy, we're important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular and pleasing. It's also a good excuse for not dealing with the first things in our lives. Ouch. We're busy. So let's talk some more about it. I stared at the envelope and tried to halt the rising feeling of dread that sickened my stomach. Printed on the corner of the stern brown stationery was the logo of the Surrey Constabulary. I couldn't believe it. I'd been caught speeding yet again, the hapless target of a motorway camera. Now, I won't make light of my crime and try to extract any humour from my being caught, because speeding kills people, and I was guilty... Never mind that I was only four miles over the limit, or that it seems that speed cameras have become a major source of income for local authorities these days. That's not the point. I was speeding. Last time it happened, I was forced to attend a speed awareness course. A sorry, shamed-looking group shuffled into a lecture room for a three-hour event designed to show us just how devastating speed can be. I actually enjoyed the experience and stayed behind afterwards to thank the instructor for a good evening, who responded by looking at me as if I was quite mad. I graduated from the course, which was no great achievement because you just have to be there, and I vowed that I'd slow down, a pledge that I quickly broke with my excessively quick driving. As I mentioned earlier, I live my life at speed, i.e. quickly, and I can't think why. Savouring the flavours of food has never been my style. I just race through eating because I race through everything. I speed read, preferring to skim over sentences rather than fully digest the words. I multitask, steam through to-do lists and fume in rush hour traffic jams where congestion means that the one thing you can't do is rush. I get things done so that I can get on to the next thing. But there's always something else to do, somewhere else to go, some other experience that demands that whatever I'm doing, it won't be for long and I won't be fully present. Rushing is an unconscious habit. Busyness is hard to break. I dash without thinking. I don't have to be late under pressure or be behind schedule in order to be in a hurry. Slowing down takes conscious effort. In a world of fast food, fast-flowing ketchup, and high-speed Wi-Fi, it's easier just to go with the flow, even if the flow is a torrent rather than a trickle. And then I rush simply because I always have. It's my default setting. I've got no idea how long my mother was in labour when I came into the world, but I do know that I arrived early, very prematurely. Perhaps I took minutes rather than hours to make my appearance, And having received a slap from the midwife, I proceeded to ask when school would be starting. And then, as I mentioned earlier, there's the subtle pressure to be busy because haste offers proof that we are in demand, that those who need us must get in line or take a number. Slowing down, surely it's so hard. When I relax, I feel guilty. Going on holiday takes serious mental and emotional preparation. Suddenly finding myself without activity and the rush created by rushing, I can spiral down into vague depressiveness, enduring rather than enjoying those lazy days of sunshine. But as the speed awareness course demonstrated with horrifying illustrations, speed is truly devastating, and not just on the roads. I've made super swift decisions that proved to be disastrous, messes that could have been prevented with some pause. Surely most of us have wasted too many beautiful moments because we've not been fully present in them, quickly dashing on to the next thing, which we hoped would be better, when it generally was not. Life lived like that becomes something to get through rather than an experience to savour. If we want to become more like Jesus, then a better rhythm won't be a luxury, but a necessity. He knew how to say no. At times, he evaded the madding crowds and commanded his friends to come apart for a while, presumably so that they wouldn't fall apart. Busyness, rushing, speeding, it really is dangerous. It was obvious to everyone that my sermon was drawing to a close. Not only had I uttered the words much beloved by congregations everywhere, and finally, but in summarising my key points, it was clear that I was preparing to land the proverbial sermon plane, This was further confirmed by members of the worship team ambling back onto the stage with a keyboard player poised to tickle the keys. Final confirmation that this preacher was about done. But it was then that I sensed heightening tension because everybody knew what was coming. A time of response, the altar call as it's sometimes described. My friends in the Salvation Army have their mourner's benches while Pentecostals in America often provide tissues for the convenience of the tearfully repentant. My listeners brace themselves for the response time. What followed was a surprise to all, including me. These response times are usually designed to cement the deal, as it were, at the end of the sermon. The sermon lays down a challenge. The response time is the moment when the listeners pick up that proverbial gauntlet, engage their will, and decide, and the actual choice varies. It may be a step towards giving more financially or just giving something. It might be that the respondent is deciding to become a Christian, or determining to pass the good news around more intentionally. They might be turning their back on a destructive pathway currently being trod, or making a heart choice to mend a broken relationship. And these moments of response can be very, very good, My own father, hardened by bitterness that encrusted him during four years spent as a half-starved prisoner of war, walked to the front of a church at the conclusion of a service because he'd decided to follow Christ. It was wonderful, but also a little bewildering too as he walked forward without there being an actual invitation given. The minister was sharing the the end-of-the-service announcements otherwise known as the notices, so the mildly confused congregation couldn't figure out if my dad was coming home to Jesus or registering an interest in the ladies' embroidery group that meets on Tuesday mornings. Whatever the reason for the response, the opportunity to decide is good. But all that said, it can get a little tiring, If you've been around Christian subculture for a while, you can start to feel worn out by the responses, especially if you're in a church where an RSVP is extended every Sunday. We can feel overwhelmed by the continual barrage of coulds, shoulds, oughts, and musts, particularly as we live such already busy lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that passive Christianity is the way forward. The church showcased in the New Testament, while not perfect, was certainly hard-working. But that same New Testament talks about the sense of rest that is the heritage of every believer. Belief without effort is meaningless. Belief that is just about effort is exhausting. And so, at the end of that particular sermon, I offered a rather unusual invitation. I said, tonight... I want you to respond by doing this. Please do absolutely nothing except just sit down. That's right, sit down. Don't come forward, don't pray, or feel compelled to make any decisions. Don't do anything except just take the weight off your feet. The result was very unexpected. Some hesitated, nervous that a Christian gathering could conclude, without the anticipated amen of a barrage of imperatives. Some people burst into tears as they just took their seats. Others said that they palpably sensed the presence of God in that moment. Perhaps it was just the relief, the knowledge that being a Christian is not just about what we do for God, busyness for the kingdom, but it includes resting in all that God has done for us. But after the service was over... Numbers of people came up to say how significant the opportunity to just do nothing had been for them. They simply sat down. What is Jesus doing right now? One biblical picture has him sitting down at the place of final accomplishment and ultimate comfort at the right hand of the Father. So today, if you are busy for God, thank you for your tireless faithfulness. I mean that sincerely. And if you're hassled, frazzled, worn out and weary, why not take a few minutes to just be with that seated Jesus and join him? If we're going to tackle our busyness, we can't hide behind our schedules. Busyness gives us a reason not to stop and think, but we need to start taking control. Perhaps that means that we need to turn a few things off, turn off our phones so that the Pavlovian beaks don't distract us, maybe even turn off browser notifications, turn off email notifications. We can attend to all of those things later. We don't necessarily need them right now. We might want to think about building technology breaks into our schedule, both at work and at home. Some suggest that the length of those breaks should be a minimum of one to three hours at a time so that we can engage in a deeper and different way, looking at problems, studying, writing, thinking, talking, the stuff of life. Perhaps we should avoid email and all screens for the first and last hour of the day so that we wake up and engage in a deeper, more focused activity of some sort. And at night, sleep studies show that being in front of a computer screen is an energy source and it stimulates rather than relaxes. It's not a good way to end our day. So, as we think about busyness, let's heed the warning of Wayne Muller, who said, If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath, our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack. Create Sabbaths for us. That's a sobering warning. People often say, don't just stand there, do something. How about this? Don't just do something, just stand there. Or maybe even just sit down. See you next week. Lucas on Life.